Peter did ask me to marry him. But I think, you know, I think the reason Peter asked me to marry him was probably because that's what Mr. Hoffman would have done. I don't think it could be made today. Uh, it's about a middle-aged man who blackmails a young, vulnerable girl into coming and living with him for a week. And during that week, he teaches her about the finer things of life. You know, he teaches her about how to eat snails and how to play the piano and how to enjoy nature. Aren't you going to eat them? I don't like them. How do you know you don't like them if you haven't tried them? Go and try one, Miss Smith. Free yourself, be venturesome. It's a new eating experience. <laughs> to Goompod. Uh, before we kick off and start talking about the Peter Sellers film Hoffman with my guest Patrick Strain, I just thought I'd share some feedback from people on social media uh, over the last few weeks, just some selected thoughts and opinions and uh, brickbats and bouquets. Not so many brickbats, actually, to be fair. Um, the episode that we recently did on Sykes with Lisa and Andrew, uh, Roger Stevenson, former guest and uh, big supporter of the show. Uh, he messaged, he said, fascinating discussion. I don't think Sykes really ever had a job in the series. There was an episode where he was a bus driver and Hattie was the conductress, originally called Sykes and a Following, but later repeated as Bus. Uh, Mike Haskins, again, former guest, supporter of the show. Uh, great, entertaining episode with Lisa and Andrew. The first series of Sykes and a uh, in the 60s was written by Johnny Spate. Spate then provided storylines for series two and three. Two scripts each in series two were written by Spike Milligan and John Antrobus. Uh, Muffley on tour messaged, great hearing Lisa and Andrew. Did you get any further with the KBH mystery? Uh, to which uh, Andrew and Lisa replied, uh, your guess is as good as ours. Uh, Muffley replied to that saying, with my work hat on, I looked at home office shirt codes shirt codes for old stroke new prisons but drew a blank the only other acronym was a kingston bridge house it's bugging me now uh ian page messaged me uh nothing to do with the sykes episode he just uh wanted to ask me if i had ever tried to reach out to adrian edmondson to get him on the show because uh in the Radio 4 show Chain Reaction, Lee Mack interviewed Aid Edmondson, and in the first few minutes, Aid talked about learning the scripts of the goons from uh, the goon show, scripts book, basically. Um, and the answer to that, as I replied to Ian, is yes, I have tried a couple of times through uh, Adrian's agent to see if he would come on the show, and um, so far, uh, no dice, but um, I'll, I'll continue trying. Not, not every week, um, maybe once every fortnight. So that is just uh, some of the feedback that the show has received recently. Uh, I may do this 
regularly just if time permits i may share some feedback um and please do keep responding on twitter and on facebook uh let me know what you like what you don't like it just helps me to uh to keep the show trim and uh relevant and of interest to everybody so without further ado my guest as i said before is the actor patrick strain and patrick is from norn iron Northern Ireland, and uh, he and I uh, got together to talk about the 1970 uh, underrated, I would say, Peter Sellers film Hoffman, and uh, Patrick and I talked quite a bit, and then he posited this. You know, you could almost sell the movie as the film that Peter Sellers never wanted you to see, which yeah. uh, around around that time you kind of have a fair few movies that Peter Sellers probably didn't want you to see, but uh, you know this is the one where he tried <laughs> to buy back the negative from the producers. And again, I've I've heard two stories. Uh, one is that he wanted to buy back the negative to burn it so it could never be seen, and then another story is that he may have wanted to buy it back just so he could completely redo the movie. Oh, really? Well, that would be intri- well, no, that would be a disaster. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Again, it's kind of like um, sort of how he uh, redid Fu Manchu. Yeah, I was just thinking that. That's how I kind of imagine. It's a fascinating period in Stella's career because, and we seem to, and this on this podcast, we seem to have focused a lot on the the sort of what was it, the five year period really, from Mm. from from about nineteen seventy to to the return of the Pink Panther in seventy five. There was Mm. that five year period of of very little in the way of quality. Yeah. Oh, no, well, I mean, there's a, there was a handful of little gems like The Optimists of Nine Elms. And, um... Oh, which I actually, I watched uh, just today uh, based on your uh, Twitter post uh, <laughs> because oh, uh, the, po- yeah. the posts are on your wall. Because I've had a copy for so long. I've never, ever watched it, but I've only just watched it today. And you're right. That is, it, that is that's a lovely little gem of, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those films that's a time capsule. It shows you London at that period. Yeah, it does. You know, he, he's walking around Leicester Square and there's cars going around Leicester Square. You know, the Odeon is showing uh, the offence with uh, Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. Yeah. You've got posters for Behind the Fridge with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, the, My Fat Friend with Kenneth Williams. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a, a beautiful little time capsule of that period. I'm, th- I'm thinking, as I was sort of started saying before, we seem to have covered a lot of the films from this period We've done, we've done, I mean, we, we're doing Hoffman today. We've mm. done McGonagall. We've done Ghost in the Noonday Sun. We've done The Blockhouse. Um, mm. I'm probably forgetting some. We're, we're, I'm due to do The Optimists actually in October because it will be the 50th anniversary of its release. Oh, um, well, and then in that period as well, you only really have one successful film, which is There's a Girl in My Soup, which is a return to the Bolting Brothers back in the day. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Actually, that's on the slate to do as well. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that period. I don't know what it is because um, I'm not really a fan of. Here, here we go. Okay, so I, I like, I like his, like a lot of people that listen to this. I love his black and white British British period. Mm. And I, the, well, the, little, the little man comedies, as he called them himself. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got? Can you sort of off the top of your head reel off your top three or four Sellers films? Oh. In terms of sell, again, it always kind of comes back to how I remember sort of finding these uh, films. Because again, my, my first introduction to Peter Sellers is the Pink Panther films. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, when you're quite young, you sort of, you see an actor doing a certain thing and you feel like that's what they always do. 
So when I sort of started exploring his other movies, I realized that, oh, he's he's more than just the Frenchman that falls down all the time. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and um, so, again, like in terms of, I mean, if I was to pick, I would always say uh, The Waltz of the Toreadors. Oh, that's an interesting uh, one. The Dot Brief. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Battle of the Sexes. Mm-hmm. And Heavens Above. Those are ones that don't really get talked about. I mean, Heavens Above maybe more than the other three, but mm. I've never heard anyone really talk about Waltz of the Toreadors. Waltz uh, of the Toreadors. I mean, I. I mean, this is <laughs> again. It's it's um again it's based on a play by Jean Anouy. Um, and it's always been described as sort of farce of the face. It's, you know, it's, again, in terms of that film, it is, it's, it's, it's your bog standard farce. You've got a randy old general going around, sleeping with all the young ladies, has the sort of, um, the wife who's always in bed. Um, but and it has, you know, again, it has that French, French farce idea of people come in one door, come in the other. Yeah. But as I said, it's kind of it's kind of farce, farce with a, a face because you, you have this scene, which is in the play as well, where the him and the wife have this um, standoff where, you know, it turns out they've been cheating on each other all their lives. And um, he turns and um, as the general, he says, um, my God, woman, but I hate you. What difference does it make? I'm your wife. And I remember watching that. It was such a cutting scene in what's been quite a sort of light, frothy British yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. We now have Talking Pictures TV. But, you know, back um, about 20 years ago, you know, Channel 4 used to show black and white movies all the time. And if you had a sick day from school, you know, you could stay at home and you could watch, you know, Heavens Above or uh, a Dirk Bogart movie or something with Stuart Granger. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember taping all sorts of things when I was 17. Like you say, on Channel 4, in the afternoon, black and white films. I remember taping Invasion Quartet, which was a film that Spike was in. Oh, um, yeah. I've never... It's with uh, Bill Bill Travers. That's right. I yeah. have never... I've, I Again, that's something I've been searching high and low, but I've never, never, ever been able to find it. I haven't got a call. I had a video of it, obviously, mm. which is long gone. I haven't thought to actually seek it out. But mm. you know, at some point, because at some point I'm going to get to the point where I need to <laughs> cover it on this show, I suppose. Well, um, yeah, because I think it's part of his, because um, he had a contract with MGM. So it was that and The Postman Knocks. Postman, Postman's Knock, yeah. Um, the Postman's Knock, that's it. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's coming up on a show later this year as well. If he sings the theme tune, doesn't he? He does. Well, yeah, I think that's the one bit of the film I have seen is the opening, uh, the opening credits. Yeah, the, the theme tune's delightful. But, um, and so, okay, so let's talk about Hoffman. So when mm. did you first catch Hoffman? When did you see Hoffman for the first time? Uh, I'd gone into HMV in Bangor oh, yeah. in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And uh, I got a box. It was Peter Sellers' collection. It was Studio Canal. And this must have been the late 2000s. Okay. And it was on a, it was on a collection with uh, the, uh, the smallest show on earth, mm. Carlton Brown of the F.O., and the two-way stretch. And I remember, so I kind of watched them in order of their release. And then I got the Hoffman. Yeah. And it, it's such an odd inclusion in that box set. You have, you know, this uh, very early, very light, uh, you know, again, the other three, you know, you've got Carlin Brown, the FO, 
You've got a two-way stretch, which, uh, you know, is a precursor to Porridge. Brilliant film. And then you've also, yeah, it's an incredible movie. Yeah. And um, and then you've got, you know, The Smallest Show on Earth, which is a nice, light um, British film from the 1950s. Yeah. And then you've got Hoffman, which is this, uh, <laughs> again, as the uh, director, Alvin Rakoff, keeps saying, um, politically incorrect, you couldn't do it nowadays uh, style film. So that was that was my first introduction to Hoffman on this uh, Studio Canal box set, which uh, I think I paid ten pounds for it. Oh, bargain! And I found it in Brighton um, a, a, last year in a market, and someone was selling it for fifty quid. Um, nostalgia didn't take hold of me in that uh, instance. No, well, it's it's just been issued on well in the last what twelve months. It's come out on Blu-ray. Yes, I've got that with the uh, indicator. Yes, indicator release. Yeah. With uh, with uh, notes in the booklet, there's like an essay yeah. in the booklet by John Rain, former guest. Yes, yes, and it has uh, has been called selected commentary by Alvin Rakoff, which I've never seen before. Um, where it's not an entire uh, director's commentary; he just comments on a couple of scenes. Yeah, I watched that. I watched that. It's it's interesting that I wonder why it was it was just selected scenes that he. I'm guessing because the film is quite. Let, let's face facts; it goes at a glacial pace, I suppose. Mm. Well, it's it's very it, again. It's wordy. It, it is very it's, wordy. Uh, it's a play. Again, we kind of uh, consider you know sometimes you know most adaptations turn. They usually you know they are, they are first a novel, then they become a play, then they become a film, or nowadays something's a film, then it becomes a musical. Uh, again, this um, from what I understand, this originally was a television play called yep. uh, Call Me Daddy, mm. uh, written by Ernest Gebler, starring Judy Cornwell, who went on to be dizzy in uh, Keeping Up Appearances. <laughs> she did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Donald Pleasance. Mm. Oh, quite nice. Oh, you must be a good shopper. Patronise only where it says by appointment. Speak demandingly in the half-strangulated accents of the English uh, upper class. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid I could never do that. I learned, why shouldn't you? Why be a victim all your life? Eat or be eaten. Tom's mother speaks beautifully. And Tom with fake gentility. He'd never have got as far as that twee little house with the Swedish timber on the outside if it weren't for the proceeds of stolen property. Um, I'm quite sure it's the only thing he's ever done wrong in his life. Oh, it uh, must be the onion. No. No, it's, it's Tom. Come along, Miss Smith. Pull yourself together. When entrapped by emotion, set the mind to creating order out of primeval chaos. Set the table, Miss Smith. Set the table just for two. Tonight we dine à deux chez nous. All right, then. Set the table just for two. Tonight we dine à deux chez nous. He's, he plays it for laughs. Mm. Like, he, he does it very, uh, sort of, again, none of, you don't really get the sinister Donald Pleasance that you kind of expect. You, you know, you don't get Dr. Cribben. You uh, kind of get cul-de-sac Donald Pleasance. Just going to say, it reminded me of cul-de-sac, the Polanski mm. film. Yeah. Which is bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of, it seems to be sort of uh, Donald Pleasance's go-to comedy styling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you kind of find with a lot of actors of that generation. I found Stuart Granger used to do the same. They, uh, when they played comedy, they just spent, tended to speak very fast, which I think was them trying to emulate Cary Grant. But, uh, mm. of course, Grant had a natural sort of charm to him, which th these actors did, but not so much pension for comedy. Um, so, yes, yeah, so one I know is it started off 
as a television play, which was also directed by Alvin Rakoff, written by Ernest Gebler, and won a couple of Emmy Awards. And then it was decided to make it into a feature film. So I think Alvin Rakoff originally, he wanted just to do the play all over again with Judy Cornwell, Donald Pleasance, a couple of weeks filming, make it very low budget. Yeah. But then the producer said, no, 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 you need you need a star name for this. This is a way bigger project than you're, you're imagining. So that enters Peter Sellers into the equation. Well, because Brian Forbes, mm. um, who was head of Associated British Pictures, Mm. Um, he and Sellers obviously had a history going back. They were friends. Um, oh yeah. Well, again, he tried to uh, tried to swap wives at one point. <laughs> I don't know if it was sw- swapping wives. I think he just wanted to take Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> again, 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 it's one of those. I've heard two stories. I think one was again. I might be mixing this up with um, Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden. Uh. But um, again, a lot of these stories just end up getting. Uh, but I think you're correct, Tyler. I think he did just want to take Nanette Newman. Uh, I know the, but, st- um, the story is that he, he went to Brian Forbes one day. I think it was when they were, was it around the time of Wrong Arm of the Law, maybe? Something yeah, like it would have been. Yeah. And he said, and Brian Forbes, uh, and he were good friends. And obviously mm. Brian Forbes was married to Nanette Newman, who was mm. who was in Wrong Arm of the Law with Sellers. Mm. And Sellers went up to Brian Forbes and basically said something along the lines of, Nanette and I are deeply in love and... <laughs> you know, I just felt you, you ought to know. <laughs> and of course, there was there was absolutely no truth in that. Again, Brian Forbes is just again he's an interesting character himself. You know, he starts off as an actor, yeah, um, appearing in um and the, these for me he would be quite well known for the son in an Inspector Calls, and then as yes. you said, you know, yes. graduates into being a writer doing the League of Gentlemen, and then graduates into being a director. Uh, for King Rat, Stepford Wives. Mm. But yeah, again, if we're coming back to Hoffman, at this period, he's now become almost, uh, again, he becomes the head of Associate British Pictures, coming to the tail end of the 60s. And from what I, from what I understand, this was, his appointment was an attempt to kind of save the British film industry. Because uh, again, by this point, the American money is slowly disappearing. And the idea at the time was to kind of create a, a conveyor belt of films. I think they're known as the Forbes 12, including um, uh, The Go-Between with Joseph Losey, uh, The Man Who Haunted Himself, starring Roger Moore. Great, yep. So, yeah, so again, again, this oh, was, um, uh, was... was The Railway Children one of those? Yes, The Railway Children was one of them, directed Brilliant. by Lionel Jeffries. Brilliant film, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tales of Beatrice Potter is in there as well. And uh, Raging Moon, which Forbes, de- uh, Forbes directed himself. Okay. So yeah, it was this um, last, it was kind of just seen as this last ditch attempt to um, basically bolster the British film industry when at this time it was starting the flag, mainly because the Americans had pulled all their money out. I guess that's partly why the 70s is, the, the British film industry in the 70s is seen now, looking back, mm. as being this, just um, a spate of sex comedies and really low budget kind of content, mm-hmm. really, isn't it? Which I think is mm. unfair. There's some great British films in the 70s. Oh, there's some incredible, you know, uh, again, Get Carter. Um, yes. The Go Between, uh, Women in Love, uh, The Devils. Uh, yeah, there's amazing British movies being made around this time. But again, so at the same time, you know, 1971, your biggest box office hit is on the buses. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And uh, was, was it is Adventures of a Taxi Driver makes more money than Taxi Driver at the UK. Does it? I love <laughs> yeah. that fact. That's wonderful fact. I really remember that. 
<laughs> oh god wasn't robert Lindsay in that or yes he is yes he is he's in the first one yes okay. yes he is <laughs> And then um, I think Elaine Page appears in one of the other ones and then denied she was in it for years and years. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so so Brian Forbes, we, we assume that Brian Forbes suggested Sellers for this film. I, I'm assu- again, I would assume that was the case, but I've never seen Brian Forbes, as in Brian Forbes putting Sellers forward for it. But again, they would have had a previous relationship, so that would have certainly helped. Seller's paychecks had uh, gone down by this point. I mean, from a million dollars, you could get them for three hundred thousand pounds now. Yeah. Okay. As 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 everyone knows now, in early '69, Sellers was filming *The Magic Christian*. Mm. Um. So I'm not quite sure. I'm guessing this. I didn't actually check, but I'm assuming that this was the next film. I think that's correct. Yes. Yeah. Um. And it's quite. It's 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 an odd choice for Sellers to. I mean, Sellers had a had history had a history of choosing. It is odd a very films. odd. It's, it's a very odd choice. But then, as Alvin Rakoff says, he doesn't think Sellers really read the script. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, in one of the interviews, he kind of points out that um, uh, Alvin Rakoff is a Canadian director. You know, he starts off um, in British television. You know, directed the original Call Me Daddy. He also did um, uh, Rec Room for a Heavyweight. Uh, the UK version with Sean Connery. Yeah, I've seen the American. I've seen the American original of that. The TV. Oh yes, with Jack Jack Palance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to see the Sean Connery because Michael Caine's in it as well, isn't he? Yeah, Michael Caine's in it as well, and um, oh, I've forgotten her name, but Barbara from Doctor Who, one of the first companions, who was married to oh, um, uh, Jacqueline Hill. Yes, Jacqueline Hill. Yes, she's mm. in there as well. Yeah, Rakoff says on the on the director's commentary on the on the Blu-ray that, well, after an, an initial hostility from Sellers towards Rakoff, they soon mm. became firm friends, and uh, Sellers met his family and spent time with his family and seemed to get on very well with Jacqueline. So mm. um, until until he saw the film and then apparently cut off all ties well, yeah. altogether. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he originally tried to get him fired from the film by um, I think. Um, apparently they uh, was uh, Alvin Rakoff and the producer Ben Arbed were heading to a meeting with Sellers uh, but it then turned out Ernest Gebler had got to the meeting half an hour before and was convincing Sellers that uh, Rakoff didn't know what he was doing and he should hire Gebler to direct the film himself mm. <laughs> I mean the thing is right I like the way because Rakoff says that he basically there was like a standoff wasn't there mm. And and Rakoff had the upper hand and, and essentially was able to banish Gebler from the set permanently mm. as a, as a result of what he saw as a you know backstabbing really mm. I suppose um, I mean Gebler I love the fact so he wrote the 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 tally play Call Me Daddy yes he wrote the he wrote the tally and, play wrote the screenplay for this yeah uh, but he also wrote a novel didn't he he did he wrote he wrote a novel but he gave it a different title mm. uh, the title is Can I Eat You Now yeah <laughs> and then and then again again it's, it's one of these things it's a project that he never seemed to uh, let go of because then he staged it in Dublin twice under the original title Call Me Daddy yeah and it's not it's an interesting. I mean, I enjoyed the film. I do enjoy the film. It's never going to be in my top ten or even top twenty. No, maybe. I don't. I don't think it's in anyone's. Top um, and, but <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a curiosity piece. It's a curiosity piece, but it's a slight film. It's not. Mm. It's not. 
and we're going to go through it, obviously, but it's not. Mm. He seemed to, I suppose, I suppose, Ernest Gebler, this was the, the most success he had in his career, did he? Was this the, the one project that was most successful for him? Uh, in many ways, I think so. Again, Ernest Gebler, uh, interesting character. I actually spoke to his son a, a couple of years ago, Carlos Gebler, oh. who uh, actually provided me with the original scripts uh, for the, uh, the stage version right. that took place in Dublin. Mm. And interestingly, um, he, when we were just chatting on the phone uh, the few times we did, he did say that Peter Sellers had turned to his father and said, oh, by the way, I'm playing you. I'm playing you in this film. Okay. I'd be insulted by that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it says a lot about Ernest Kepler. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it seems to be the main thing. He, again, the other thing Ernest Kepler would be known for, he is um, uh, the ex-husband of Edna O'Brien, uh, the Irish writer. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. So that would, uh, so um, Carlos is the um, son of oh, uh, wow. and Ernest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. And, you, you said before, yeah, um, Rakoff repeatedly says, you know, political correct. And it was politically incorrect. This yeah, he says, that, he says that quite a few um, times in the audio comments. He says, and you couldn't <laughs> make like, it. I feel like that's his go-to word. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't make it today. Now, I don't know. I think he probably could make it today. It just would be very dark, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be extremely dark. And um, again, you know, I've got. I've got the, the copy of the script and I've kind of always sort of played around with it. Um, I've, you know, turning again, you could restage it, changing gender and so forth, or even sort of adding a role play element to it um, in terms of the characters. Cause it's, it is just a fascinating story. And it, again, when you kind of look at it, it, there are so many interpretations of it. Um, I mean, I, I, have you ever read, um, I'm assuming you most likely have, uh, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers by oh, Roger Lewis? Absolutely, yeah. Which, I, I which by read... the way, which, by the way, the, the, the you know, the, the very striking front cover. Yes, yes, on the on the paperback. Yeah, yeah. with um, with him looking quite drawn and... and yeah, and most, drawn out and forlorn and he's... Almost um, haggard, <laughs> yeah. Um, that photo was taken during um, the filming of... Hoffman. Yeah, it is. I think he's got the script. I think he's got the script in his hand. If um, I think the full, I'm, I'm not sure if that you see that on the book cover, but I think the full image yeah. mm-hmm. is him with script in hand. Yeah, because uh, you quite rightly said, looking very forlorn and deflated. <laughs> <laughs> you were afraid to go out with me because of my maniac face. No. Yes. No. Yes. Girls all over the world are afraid of men with my expression. What expression? Plain, sad-faced men. You look at us, all of you, and you're right. Every Miss Smith, everywhere. Swarms of mature, sexually starved men. With their thoughts. Full of breasts and bottoms and thighs in offices, buses, and trains. Men who've missed the boat, but who still need love. Well, Miss Smith, their day is coming. Their revolution is almost upon you. Just you wait, just you wait. Hope never dies in a man with a good, dirty mind. 
so I'd, I'd seen Hoffman 30 years ago. It was on TV. I taped it and I must have watched it the once, maybe twice, mm-hmm. and pretty much erased it from my mind subsequently. Mm. And then the Blu-ray came out last year and I bought it and I watched it. And it's pretty much a two-hander, really. There's, it there's, is, there's, yeah. there's four people in the in the you know credited at the beginning, four actors, mm. but mm. really there's only two, isn't there? Yeah, it's it's only Shanae Cusack and Peter Sellers. Yeah, it is very much. Um, again, it's interesting. It, it is very much like a play. Again, it's very much like a television play, um, which is interesting since uh, Alvin Rakoff uh, just prior to Hoffman uh, got fired from the anniversary with Betty Davis. Oh, right. um, be- okay. because he was directing it like a TV play. He was like putting markers down on the sets and she was like, no, 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 this is not how, this is not how film actors mm. perform. Mm. Uh, so he got fired from that film and replaced by Roy Ward Baker. So it's interesting that sort of be, being fired from a project just prior to Hoffman for, you know, staging it far too much like a play, a television play. And then the next project is this film that, you know, is very much like a play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think of I, I really do enjoy films that are adaptations of plays and which mm. retain that staginess about them. And I'm thinking mm. specifically, and and of course it was a TV play in itself. Twelve Angry Men, the film version of Twelve. Yes, Angry Men. yes. I love that film. It's one of my all time favorites. Um, the Rope, the Hitchcock film, which yeah. was which was a play, and that's pretty much one room. And of course, the conceit mm. of Rope is that it's all done in one long continuous take which it isn't mm. but but it but it, it gives the it gives the impression or it tries to give oh the yeah it just goes goes past the door cuts and so forth again you only get about i think it's uh 10 minutes ten, of film 10 minutes but there's a there's a particular scene in this film which is a really long single take mm. which i thought was really interesting um mm. but before we go into that for anyone who hasn't watched this film which i guess is probably most people listening to this Mm. How would you, could you summarize it without spoilers in, you know, a pithy two or three sentences, do you think? And in pithy two or three sentences, um, a businessman blackmails uh, one of the secretaries at his office to spend the weekend with him before she gets married. Mm. That's about it, really. I mean, I mean that, that, that is it. I mean, it's a two hour film, but in reality, in terms of a blurb, uh that is that 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 is that is you know it is just a weekend with your boss yeah so i wasn't against your your will (laughs) i wasn't sure i got the impression and it's this film reminded me in part have you ever seen the collector the yes with uh, terrence stamp terrence stamp it partly reminded me of that film Mm. where terrence stamp is this non-entity that works he's kind of is he even is he even middle management in this office and everyone yes everyone ridicules him and and makes fun of him and he's he's got no real personality and he looks miserable and then he wins the pools and he Mm. he comes into money and he he essentially well he does kidnap this woman that he's taken a fancy to and and holds her in a an old country house out in the sticks Mm. um and uh this film reminded me of that. You have this man who seems to have limitless wealth. I don't know where the wealth has come from. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And he, and I, my impression was that he wasn't necessarily the boss of the firm; that he was more middle management. Mm. Um, but I guess he's he's actually the boss of. Yeah, I guess Miss Smith, 
who's played by yeah, Shinei exactly. Kuse. Yeah, above this. Again, as you said, probably not the boss of the company, but he's 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 on he's a, a a head of her in the company. Yeah. Yeah. So where's the money come from? Again, as you said, like who who knows? Again, they end up at Harrods at one point. Um... Mm. I suppose it doesn't matter. It just it's just mm. it, it, it not bothered me. But I kept thinking mm. he's got he's he's a man of independent means here. He's got a nice big get, flat. Yeah, again, it's kind of I think that's sort of the old um, film and television trope. You know, you watch Friends and you kind of wonder how Monica and Monica and Rachel can afford the apartment in New York. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, Sinead Cusack is brilliant in this. She's absolutely oh, yeah. ast- astonishing in this, and mm. she's she you absolutely I totally by her perilous situation and her you know she's racked with anxiety which then turns to hatred i guess and then mm. and then contempt and then well, well we'll get to that but but she's absolutely perfect for this role and um, and again one of her first uh, i think may have been her first uh, film role or one of her first film roles yeah yeah the, the film begins, she's, we see her being seen off at the train station by, uh, her, we presume, presume it's her boyfriend. Um, mm, or fiancé, yeah. Or fiancé, mm. uh, played mm. by um, Jeremy Bullock. Mm. Um, Who pe- people may know as Boba Fett. Yeah, well, I don't. Oh. <laughs> I, I've heard the name, that's about mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm a complete uh, Star Wars ignoramus. Okay. Ah, well, uh, Jeremy Bullock is, is the actor who plays uh, Boba Fett in... Uh, uh, in the Star Wars films, yeah, well, the, in the original original Star Wars films, yeah. You see, if you'd asked me, if if you'd shown me a picture of him or I'd seen, you know, because I, I I'm, I'm watching it and I say, oh, I recognise him, I know where I know him from. He's mm. from he's from the sitcom Agony from the late seventies, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which um, which was his role in Agony was groundbreaking. Actually, I don't know if you remember Agony or you ever mm. heard of Agony, but it's Maureen. Lippmann. I have heard. Of Agony. I've never seen Agony. Maureen Lippmann's sitcom, which I really enjoyed when I was a kid, although it was a little mm. bit adult, really thinking back, because I have seen it, you know, an episode of it subsequently. But um, it was groundbreaking in that it featured two gay characters who were who were together. And they were just normal. They they were not they were not caricatures. They were not, dare I say, screaming queens or anything like that. Mm. It, was, it was they they were you know they were played played very sympathetically, and it was mm. it was seen as being quite revolutionary, I suppose, in terms of British sitcoms, for that for that sort of portrayal. And he was one of the two, and um, oh. and also and also he turns up in um one of my, and again, the film I absolutely love. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, Oh, oh, lucky man! Oh yeah, I've actually no, I've I've seen if Britannia Hospital, but I've never caught Oh Lucky Man. Oh right, okay. Um, he turns up an Oh Lucky Man in a very memorable scene. I think I I think I've seen the scene in question, which I don't want to spoil. For yeah. Oh, anyway, we're moving on, but we see we see Jeremy Bullock at the at the train station seeing off mm. his fiance uh, Janet played by Sinead O'Connor Sinead O'Connor mm. Sinead I think you're thinking a different film there Sinead Cusack <laughs> and we don't see him again for another nearly nearly hour yeah and no half, he's got he's, he's got he's he's gone to the end of the film yeah till the climax yeah she's happy to you know he gives her a kiss and she she's a big smile and she gets on the train and we can see her through the train window mm. and she's looking 
she's looking very uneasy and then she mm. she sort of gets off the other side of the train and mm. if you watch that movie and you weren't told anything beforehand that just that little opening sequence with Jeremy Bullock and Sinead Cusack you would never know where it was going to lead you know it's just, just two two uh, two young people going to this train station and then you just have that little and again it just shows you how great Sinead Cusack's performance is Yes. You know, no words. There is just that switch. And in that moment, you go, oh, something interesting is going to happen here. Yeah. So she leaves the station, gets a cab and we have the opening credits and she arrives at this very uh, nice looking apartment building, I suppose, or block mm. of flats. And mm. she goes up the uh, uh, the, the lift and um, gets to a certain door, rings the bell and the door is opened by a very vaguely drunk looking Peter Sellers. Mm, very pale looking Peter Sellers. Very, yeah. Come in, Miss Smith. And he invites her in. And mm. she's very anxious and tearful. And she asks to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Even that opening, it's so, the door opens, he stands there, he, he, he inhales. There's this, there's this breath he takes before mm. he says, come in, Miss Smith. Just that, just that little moment is just, again, what are we, what are we about well, to walk into? You, you, you try and think, okay, this character, what's he been doing in the sort of hour leading up to mm. her ringing on the doorbell? He's obviously I, because we see later in the film what he's when he's waiting for the doorbell to ring. He's probably pacing, yeah, the flat in himself. He's probably extremely nervous, mm. um, doubting himself, and I think the character, it's fair to say, is, is full of self-loathing. Anyway, so mm. um, you can't imagine the things that have been going on in his head yeah. while he's been waiting for her to arrive. Self-loathing and um, a fantasist as well. I mean, in many ways, you know, how, how does he think this weekend is really going to go? Uh. Yeah. Well, we find out later, not really spoiling it, but we find out mm. um, that he has blackmailed mm. Janet Smith to spend a week with him at his flat. Um, and in exchange, he will not tell the police that her boyfriend has been um, running a sort of racket to do with cigarettes and things mm. like that because the because the company they work for pr presumably produces cigarettes yeah. and uh and the trucks that transport the cigarettes the the boyfriend of janet smith who also works at the firm has been selling the routes and the times for these trucks to thieves who have then been stealing these consignments and 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 he's been receiving a commission and somehow or other mm. Somehow or other, Hoffman has become wise to this mm. and uh, and using this. Again, you kind of wonder how long he's known this information for and just kind of let the game play out for his advantage. Exactly. You wonder that, don't you? Uh, but mm. but but off the back of all that, um, we don't know this at the beginning of the film, of course. All we mm. know is that is that she does not want to be there, but she mm -hmm. she is compelled by some for some reason to be there. She's obviously mm. trying. She knows that at some point, or she's she very strongly suspects that at some point soon she's going to be obliged or he's going to try mm. and have his wicked way. 
and she's trying to obviously delay that mm. that moment so she says that she's got a headache and she asks if he's got any aspirin he goes into the kitchen and he's doing this weird thing where he's you've got the what do you call it the the the, the little little shutters in between the, the, the serving hatch in the kitchen. Yeah, the serving hatch. That's it. Yeah. And mm. and when he's in vision, because she's in the the living room, she can see him when he passes the serving hatch in the kitchen. He he mm. tries to sort of remain quite uh, cool and aloof, but mm. whenever he's out of vision, he's sort of running around in, almost like in a panic. Yeah. It? Yeah. Um, Again, yeah, it's just it's just it's this little bit of um, you know a bit of comic business going on um, in the in a, in this in this scene, and uh, yeah, again, just being um, very reserved, and then the moment he can't see, he's just dashing around uh, looking for this aspirin, which he throws into into the tea, and then you have this sort of little funny bit of dialogue about um, if the aspirin's out of date or not. Are those old aspirins? Yes. Uh, yes, they may taste funny. Why mm. do you keep staring at me? Because now I can stare at you. I can even touch you. Only because you're forcing me. Miss Smith, our agreement says that you are supposed to look happy and willing. Happy? I'm supposed to be getting married in three weeks' time. Suddenly I'm here, forced to do this. Why don't you take your shoes off and feel comfortable? I hate filthy talk. You said that you'd treat me with respect. There's nothing filthy about shoes. And I do have full use, Miss Smith. Oh, cringing. And again, it's oh. sort of um, the way he delivers... Again, it's interesting. Rakoff kind of makes this point where he said, you know, I had Donald Pleasance in the TV play, who's known as, a, as we've said previously, a serious straight actor known for villainous parts. But when he played the role, he played it rather comical. Mm. And then you have Peter Sellers, who, you know, up at this point, you know, very well-known comic actor. And at, at this point in his career, Sellers was more, um, I would say, when you've got movies like um, After the Fox and What's New Pussycat, yeah. was kind of maybe a bit more known for slightly more over-the-top performances. Yeah. yeah. And then you have this, which is a very straight, very subdued. You've got little bits of comic business going on, but even they feel very subdued. Well, his voice is, is just really an extension of his, his actual speaking voice. So mm. speaking voice. There isn't really... Quite similar to how he uses it in Casino Royale. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, as, as you know, he liked to put a, put on voices so that he could kind of disappear. Well, originally, Rak Rakoff said, I think, that originally he wanted to play Hoffman with a uh, a German or an Austrian accent. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it says in the contract you are meant to be willing. You can imagine it with the, with the, with the strange love glasses on. Look like you want to be fertilized. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently, yeah. So apparently, Sellers did come to the come to the table with uh, some form of uh, Teutonic German accent, <laughs> yeah, which he was dissuaded from from doing. Well, I mean, it might have been a better film. It's not a bad mm. film as it is, but it might have been even better with that. I don't. I mean, know. maybe that's the version he was going to make after. Maybe Hoff, yes. Hoffman, Hoffman, Hoffman take two. <laughs> she she at one point she sort of 
manages to well she she decides that she's just going to leg it from the, the from the flat at one point mm. and he calls after her basically just says you know you if you go out that door you know what will happen and she yeah yeah with a with a heavy heart she <laughs> she makes her way back up to the flat and we get the scene in the bedroom with this really long take that I mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, and interesting watching it second time round when she sees this, this bed and she says, is this the only bed? And he says, it's the only bed in use. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought about that. And of course the only other bed she doesn't know about, does she? The, the, the only other bed in the flat she doesn't at this point know about, which is... No, maybe... no, no. Yeah, she finds that out uh, later on in the, the film that there is a uh, there is a Mrs. Hoffman, or there was a Mrs. Hoffman. Yeah, that's intriguing, that whole... Mm. Again, uh, again uh, we'll probably get onto that bit later on, but yeah, you know, again, the, the mysterious Mrs. Hoffman, almost a bit like um, um, Mrs. Mannering. Yes. She confirms to Hoffman that she told Tom that she was... Going to see her granny, who'd had a fall. Yeah, up granny, in, granny in Scarborough. Scarborough, yeah. yeah. And her, her parents are dead, so it was a grandmother mm. that brought her up, so that she's very close to her. And she's told the girls with whom she shares a flat that um, she's told them the same story. So mm. nobody knows that she's still in London, and certainly they, they don't know that she's I, at Hoffman's. I, for me, that's another moment of why Sinead Cusack is so good in this film. Yeah. Is yeah. that the realisation that she realizes that she said it out loud to basically to make sure to tell him, oh, I've covered my tracks, don't worry, nobody knows I'm here. But then the moment when she says that line, that no one knows I'm here, the look on her face is just, yeah, boom. And we are going to spoil this film. Um, if you've never seen this film before and, you, and you're watching up to this point, and from what you've seen so far... You could be forgiven for thinking that Hoffman is a serial killer or a killer, or, mm. or he's. Or gonna... Ro- Roger, I mean, Roger Lewis uh, greatly implies that he's a vampire. If <laughs> 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 you kind of, in terms of that opening, I would kind of agree. There is this slight sort of, you know, slight Bella Lugosi, uh, Christopher Lee element of when she enters, you'll come in, Miss Smith, and all that. So yeah, yeah. Again, you're right. Sort of serial killer, and then Roger Lewis's um, vampire. Again, that sort of drained look as well. Yeah, yeah. And he's always speaking in these epigrams, which clearly he thinks are very clever. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, as you said, you know, you've got the. It, it's a very uh, quotable film. Mm. Some of the things he says. Yeah. Some of them are funny, and some of them. Sound like they should be funny, but they're not really. It's not that youth is cruel. It's not that youth is mindless. It's just simply that youth is wasted on the young. They have no idea how to use it. If a woman's biological urges can make her wear her skirt up to her crutch, what can they not do? Beg your pardon? Idiot girls standing around at bus stops, freezing thighs, bladder trouble spreading wildly. Women are always hungry for something. Fallopian tubes with teeth. Uh, oh, no coward he ain't, but... <laughs> no. And she's she's surprised because uh, he's such a different man from the man she knows from work. Which is, which is interesting because she kind of describes... That you again, you get this impression that he is just a bit of a 
a bit of a nobody in the office. Um, which is which is what made me think of um, the collector. Mm, exactly. Mm. Yeah, he's just a bit a bit of a nobody in the office. Yeah. Um, which is kind of you sort of wonder what she maybe thought he was because he kind of, he does kind of come across as the nobody in the office. <laughs> yeah. Sort of blending again. It's it's one of those performances that you know almost sort of um, in terms of his look, not in terms of his act, but in terms of his look, you know, so you blend into the wallpaper. Well, he he describes himself as being one of those plain, sad-faced men. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we all the, need love, Miss. <laughs> yeah. And then he and then he says, "Those who miss the boat." <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And then he says, "He, he <laughs> made me laugh out loud because I mean it's quite sad, but she hits upon a, a possible motive as to as to why he's putting her through this hell." Okay. Mm. She thinks he wants to get back at her for the time that... Oh, for, oh, for the note, for the note. Yeah, he wrote her a note a year ago inviting her to a play and she told all the other girls about it and he was humiliated. <laughs> and she says this to him and he shouts in something, he shouts something along the lines of, you're afraid to go out with me because of my maniac face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. He kind of, yeah, he, kind of, he describes himself with this blank, blank expression. And then in the same breath, he's also a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote down as well, because as when you're in the bedroom and all the sort of creepy things that he's saying, he's clearly a misogynist. Mm. And I wrote down um, an early incel or incel, you know, men that just can't get laid. I just, I, yeah. I, I, I saw him as a, a pioneer of that movement. Called, Sounds like it should have, should have been, it should have been the tagline for this film. <laughs> an early incel. An early, early incel. Uh, man who cannot, a man who cannot get laid. Yeah. Um, uh, you go to the cinema to watch this film. If Peter Sellers is in it, you're going to expect a comedy. Mm. And it's not a comedy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's there's little comedic moments, little comedic moments, yeah. But it, you'd be disappointed if you went if it was someone else. If it was a, mm. a, you know an, a, an actor in the leading role who was known for for dramatic roles, mm. then mm. it's a whole different ball game. But yeah, um, I'm sure that's how you probably felt when you first saw it. You'd probably expect oh, yeah, it well, to be boffo laughs, and it wasn't. Oh, exactly. Well, particularly when you've, uh, again, with box sets, if you put it with uh, what are these quite gentle 1950s British comedies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have this film, which is the, uh, you know, the dying ember of 19, 19- entering into the sort of darker period of British cinema. Yeah. Um, we get the scene where he takes her to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And she still... Well, so Sellers had the, all the uh, tablecloths changed because they were originally uh, purple. Purple, yeah. And she doesn't take to anything on the menu. And this is where I think nope. he's... I, this, I think this is an ad lib. He says, maybe you prefer some boiled cat. It, 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 he has that great moment as well where he says, it says to her, it's off. But then he turns to the waiter, it is off, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, they have, they have snails on the menu and she pulls her face and he says, I remember when my father first introduced me to snails. Mm. Hello, snails, how are you? And then the snails say, we who are about to be eaten salute you. Uh, and I'd love to think that Sellers just improvised that, but it was probably in the script. <laughs> well, actually, I think um, just as a, as a sideline, um, I think Sinead Cusack and Sellers started a relationship while on this movie. Yes. And he did. Um, apparently, they were about to go out on a date. 
And she was just, but the story I was told was that, oh, they were about to go out on a date. She was waiting wherever she was waiting. And as she was waiting for him, a helicopter appeared and uh, with sellers in it, and they flew off to uh, Paris for the weekend. <laughs> God, yeah. Though yeah. at the time, I think he was he was courting Miranda Miranda Quarry at the time. Yeah, yeah. How long was the Sinead Cusack sellers relationship? Do you know? I from I think it was just the film. Right. Okay. We we get back to the flat and. Uh, where she's had too much coffee she's had too much coffee she says she's got heartburn and he rather irritably goes and fetches I think some milk and pours it into a mm. brandy yes um, he's got he's got a dictaphone into which he's recording some night thoughts which are just misogynistic sort of stream of consciousness uh, and he's and, and then the, the sort of the rug being pulled he he gets into bed She's in bed. She's absolutely bricking it. He sets the alarm for 6 a.m. I think he's taking some mm. sleeping pills and he says when he awakes at 6 a.m., bright and early, she will be sleeping sweetly beside him and then he'll be ready to go, I suppose. That's the implication. <laughs> he turns off the light and settles down to sleep. Yeah. And, she, and she's there wide awake. The yeah. way Sellers does that is, for me, extremely comic. You know? yeah. <laughs> right, take that. And then even the way he sort of like it, uh, goes to sleep, just kind of jumps jumps in the bed and just kind of goes over. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I think again, I think that must be another little bit of comic business he's kind of thrown in there. Yeah. She, she gets up in the night because she can't sleep because of all this coffee and she puts her coat and clothes on and beret on. And... Um, mm. And she can't get out because the door's double locked. He wakes up, but he's he's not really awake. And he's, he sort of blarily says the name Barbara. Mm. Uh, goes for a wee. Very, very loud wee. Uh, yeah, again, again, another little sort of comic move. <laughs> like, I'm, 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 I'm not aware of anyone sleepwalking and peeing before. I've never heard of it. <laughs> he must have very good aim, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's better. But you wonder who Barbara is, and and that further mm. further stokes your suspicions that maybe you know he's killed someone. Yeah, he's, he's he's done he's done this before. Mm. Yeah. Um, she just decides to get into bed fully fully clothed, and and he wakes up the next morning and is is he he works out what's happened, doesn't he? The next morning, and um, oh yeah, and in the well, end. Again, I, it's the fantasy because we have that again. That it's a fantasy idea because he wakes up. Well, when I wake up, you, there you will be in my bed, and of course turns around and she's wearing her <laughs> she's wearing her white mac and beret. Beret. <laughs> <laughs> they go for a stroll in Richmond Park. Mm, yes. Um, so we. Th- I think it's a Friday evening that she arrives at his flat. Mm. So the next day's Saturday, obviously. Saturday. So they yeah. go. They go for a bracing walk along what looks like an A road, um, mm. and then into Richmond Park. There's there's the windmill, and they're feeding the ducks, or they're well, Sellers is quacking at the ducks, which I think was a lovely little little. Yeah, thing. I mean, I've, 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 I I can't remember where I've heard him do that before, but that that quack 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 yeah. quack. The way he does it, I. Yeah. I've heard him do that somewhere else. I can't remember where, but it's 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 a very, 
again, I always find with sellers, there's always little noises that he makes that are very similar in all his movies. Yeah. Like his little um, sort of um, sound. You, you, it's always in his movie, regardless of the character. Again, Sellers was this, could inhabit these characters, but he always had these little, he always had little one or two little ticks. Um, and I always felt like that little moment was a little Sellers tick, a, a, Sellers, a Sellers noise. Again, being yeah. a radio performer, um, you just had these little ticks. And it was just that little moment. I It was it, the one moment in the movie I go, that's a little sellers moment it's not a comic moment it's a, a, a sellers noise absolutely i mean sellers appeared in some lousy movies and this isn't one of them i'm not including mm. this um, but but he did appear in some lousy movies but even in the lousiest movies even dare i say fu manchu he'll add something There's oh yeah something I mean, even that... if, even fu manchu i think Nayland smith is kind of one of his one of his better performances mm. Yeah. <laughs> again, it's an inter- it's an interesting performance. Uh, again, it's a, a lot more subdued than you'd expect in the fiendish plot of Fu Manchu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And he, he and and Hoffman is is obviously you know enjoying this as I say bracing stroll through the park, mm. and uh, Janet is is um, lagging behind because she skinned her heel, mm. and she mutters. Because he just walks on, she mutters, "Hanging would be too good no, for he you." Ma- he, ma- he marches on. He's he marches on. He's on. Brisk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She says, "Hanging would be too good for you." Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she's starting to get a bit. You know, she's starting to gain a bit of confidence, isn't she? Because mm. at first she was just, I guess, oh, terrified. Timid. Yeah, and timid. You, 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 you get the impression that she's, you know, in in her natural habitat. She would be quite ballsy, for want of a better phrase. Well, that's I mean, my you impression. Kind of, mm, and again, you sort of get that with the background a wee bit. You know, um, you don't really get much detail about the parents, but I'm sure. I'm, I'm assuming. Well, again, you sort of do. I think they've not been a, they've not been around for a while because the grandmother uh, looks after uh, raised her. Yeah. Uh, up in Scarborough, now she's looking after the grandmother. Well, that's the story she gives. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think that that side is starting to come out. She hasn't had an, an easy life. So I think that starts to come out by this point. Yeah. Where she kind of get, gains her confidence against this um, this uh, plain maniac man. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a little bit of tenderness back at the flat when she actually allows him to clean up the skinned ankle to, to, mm. to, to put liniment. Is it liniment or something he puts on it? I'm not quite yes, sure. Yes, yes, yeah. Um. And then his fingers stray a tad, though. They stray a little bit, and she mm. jerks her foot back and falls asleep because she's been awake all the previous night. Yeah. And he sort of stares at her rather sadly and then puts her to bed. Um, and we've got this interesting scene the next morning when he's still a- asleep, and she wakes and does like a recce of the house, and she finds these women's slippers in a in a closet. Yeah, yeah. Uh and she sees there's some books in the kitchen and she starts reading them. In one book, there's an inscription on the flyleaf to Barbara Ann Hoffman. And there's a diary as well, which was rather careless, I think, of yeah. Benjamin Hoffman. Leave, to leave. Leaving evidence around. <laughs> yeah. And she's reading aloud from this diary, obviously for our benefit. Um, mm. And she reads, to appear in high court three weeks hence, Monday morning, 10 o'clock. And while she's reading out loud, Hoffman has, has awoken and he walks up to the door of the kitchen and sort of stares at her as she's reading this diary. Mm. And and she's reading this entry, which says, 
How did she become in so short a time such a vain, demanding, treacherous woman? She was old enough. It should have shown from the beginning what blinded us or my several people. To think that many a man hanged for such a wife. Where was my judgment? And then Janet startled as Hoffman walks in and mm. disturbs her, obviously. Mm. Um, and she's quite, you know, she's she's quite confident enough to sort of throw at him. You know, you never told me you were married. Uh, and he brushes over that. He doesn't really want to talk about that, does he? No, no. And it's again, I think that's sort of like the sort of last bit we see of it, isn't it? Of the mention of um, the wife. Um, it's just, it, yeah. It's a, a, yeah. Again, yeah. She gains, yeah. They've read that bit, gains her comfort. Again, it, uh, again, it still doesn't answer any questions about where she's gone. Is she, <laughs> is she living? Is she dead? <laughs> well, do you think, yeah. I mean, do you think that Janet at this point is really starting to get worried that he could have murdered his wife? Yes. I, I, again, I think maybe not Janet, but I think the audience, I know, I know I certainly did when I watched it mm. um, the first time around. Um, because again, it is such a, again, in terms of the music, in terms of the lighting, it's a very, very dark piece. Um, so it, would, it wouldn't have surprised me if that was something that would come up. And he notices that she's wearing these slippers and, mm. he, and he's quite angry about this and he demands that she takes them off. Mm. And then he takes them and he gets a, he, he goes across the hall to this locked door fetches a key from the top of the door frame and mm. opens it a, a, a crack throws the slippers in locks the door and replaces mm. the key and she's all the while she's watched this she's noticed this and then he comes back into the kitchen and all is forgiven and he says you can't win in this game miss smith you don't know the rules let's have some breakfast and ease the horror a bit mm. <laughs> which is a nice way to start the day isn't it yeah uh, <laughs> let's let's have some eggs <laughs> yeah Preferably not fertilized. <laughs> uh, we see them in Harrods, like you mentioned before. So yes, uh, yes. Again, an interesting story about um, the Harrods. Um, apparently, um, after they uh, finished uh, finished filming in there, uh, the producer Ben Arbed was uh, handed a bill because what? the studio lights are so hot that they basically went like the owner of Harrods went, "This is Harrods. I can't sell this meat." You've got to pay for it all. Really? Yeah, that, yeah. That would there would not have been much change out of I don't know a thousand <laughs> pounds? Maybe it's probably, it's probably half the half the budget. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, um, the crew um, um, got to pocket all this. Uh, ben Arbet paid for it, and he was like, "Well, I I can't take it." So he turned to the crew, and they just uh, took all the your racks of lamb, sausages, chickens, brought them all. <laughs> got to eat well that night. Yeah. <laughs> God, there's a lot. There's dressed whole pigs, isn't there? And there's um, there's that shot where Janet stood under a huge rack of hanging, I, I, hanging and meat. And again, that I, again, that's a shot. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that one because that's the shot where it's a very uh, serial killer sort of moment. Yeah. <laughs> where he's uh, again, in terms of imagery, you've just got him at the counter. He stares over. And she has just stood in front of these racks of um, racks of um, fresh meat, fresh, fresh meat. Yeah. Um, and again, it's it's just a moment of uh, horror, really. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, sort of, you're going into Texas Chainsaw Massacre territory. <laughs> the 
they go home and he's he's playing the piano and um mm. they seem almost for a moment there seems to be this kind of unspoken tenderness between them yeah they start they start to get along and um this is the point where what's it is, this, is this the way he has that little song um once i knew a pretty girl i loved her as my wife but then i put my hands around her neck and robbed her of her life yes. <laughs> which is again so yeah a, another tick in the column for him being a yeah. homicidal maniac yeah exactly um if he didn't know better uh um, yeah, they start. They start just having this um, um, amicable, domestic, really domestic relationship. I mean, there's nothing physical by this point, but they um, they just seem to be getting on, getting along. Yeah, and then we see them in bed again. Mm. Um, he's reading the Sunday Times magazine, and she's she she's got constipation. And, yeah, and she asks him if he's got anything to relieve it, and he's. Again, he's irked, and he goes and gets again. I, I, I think I think this always comes back to the fantasy element because you know he, he's clearly this older man with this younger woman, and um, I'm I'm, I'm supposedly I'm I'm thinking he's expecting more than constipation in the bedroom, um, but then he doesn't really do anything to incite anything. Which of course will come up later on when she um, accuses or asks him why why he's not doing anything. <laughs> well, I think uh, yeah, I I think looking back at this film, secretly he's pleased that there's all these obstacles put in his way. Yeah, because not... he wouldn't know what he wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean he's he, not he's not uh, he pretends again like he pretends that he doesn't that he pretends that he's annoyed. Mm. But secretly I... he's happy or he's pleased yeah. because you know. And again, I think it kind of comes back to the film's tagline as well. You know, um, uh, hope never dies in a man with a good, dirty mind. Because that's kind of what it is. Again, it's a talky piece. So it's, it's all talk. There's very little action. Again, well, it's, it's the dog that chases the car. What happens when he catches it? Yeah, exactly. Well, he, he, Hoffman has got what he wants. It's, it, it's, it's, his fantasy has come true. But this is the part of the fantasy where he has to take action. And he, and he doesn't. Yeah. She's really starting to gain some, almost like a, bit, a little bit of dominance over him in the sense mm. that she loses a rag because she says he's not doing anything. He's just mm. going to sleep and snoring and he refuses to believe that he snores. Oh, and there's, there's the bit where he has that cramp. I do, I do not snore. <laughs> yeah, he has the cramp in his foot. In the arch of the foot, covers up the leg, grips the leg most of the time. The only thing to do is to stamp it hard into the ground. The Japanese have an exploit. Tell me what it is. Pain is murder. Oh, God. Oh. Where literally he is stamping. Which um, I'm, 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 I'm guessing he has people living underneath him, but. Uh... Mm, yeah. <laughs> but again, like even that, uh, the flat, the block of flats, you never see any no. sign of anything and again it kind of brings me I, I, again i kind of go back to roger lewis's idea of this sort of dracula vampire character because it almost feels like that um you have as you as we we're saying earlier the barbarous room that she's not allowed to go into there's only like certain spaces she's allowed in and it's a wee bit like um you know a harker going to dracula's castle he's yeah. only allowed in certain areas yeah. and it, it has it has that feel to it you know she's not allowed to go anywhere unless he said you can go there yeah yeah 
she wakes up the next morning with a crick. She's cricked her neck because she slept awkwardly, and mm. and she allows him to rub some ointment onto it, and she appears to almost enjoy it. And mm. and he at one point his hands almost move like he's about or he's tempted to strangle her. Yes, yes. Um, she seems very conflicted in terms of where she sees all this leading to and she and, mm. then, and then the liquid paraffin that he's given her for a constipation um does its work and she has to um exit the kitchen quickly yeah um, <laughs> but you see you see them the next scene is them on this street in london and they're chatting mm. and walking along very amiably together and they stop outside a, a house a large house under renovation mm. um which he reveals is going to be his new flat but that's always a bit that kind of um, confuses me because I'm thinking I'm because he talks about the flat, but I was kind of wondering if was is he buying the building, converting them all into flats, or does he just? I have think the so. One? I, I think so. Again, where's the money come from? I know. Yeah, exactly. Where? where <laughs> he hasn't worked. I haven't seen him work already. <laughs> um, she walks around this 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 room that's undergoing renovation, mm. and. She sort of wanders around imagining the decor that she would choose if it was her. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she starts uh, playing the wallpaper. We do see uh, another actor at this point, which is um, we, Fred Fred the Builder. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, Dave Lodge from Cockle Shell Heroes. He was in Cockle Shell Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Cockle Shell Heroes. I don't know if you know that, Tyler. He's yeah. Cockle Shell Heroes. Yeah. <laughs> Got to do that thing with your muscle when you say that. Got to flex your yeah. muscle. Um <laughs> Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Dave Lodge is in it. Of course, he is. Of course, of course. I was, I was surprised Graham Stark was going to say, was yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, he doesn't even get, I think he gets a line and that's it, doesn't he? Um, I don't think I don't think he's even really uh, credited in no. in in the film. He's, he's definitely not credited at the start. I don't think he's credited in the end. So, no. I, yeah, it's it, an uncredited turn from. Uh, from Dave Lodge, and you're right. He does have he, he, literally one line about where is it where the sink is meant to go, or um, where something's meant to go. And Hoffman's like, "Well, no, 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 it, it, it should go over there." And then that's where yeah. Janet goes off and checks out the wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Come here. I'll teach you something from my extensive repertoire. This is known as chopsticks, right? And you start by playing these two notes together, and then you go to these two notes, which is a little bit further apart, then these two notes, then these two notes. Quite a long way apart, see? Mm -hmm. Don't worry about the bits in the middle, I'll do that. Okay. You can do that? Oh, I'll try. It's really, we start there, 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 and there. Right. And I'll play down here, you play up there. Okay. That'll be a duet or instant cacophony. Yes. Are you ready? Probably the the best known scene from this film, the the back at his flat, and they're both sitting at the piano playing chopsticks. Mm. 
um, and really getting on well, aren't they? Um, mm. And and she she says that she should phone Tom, her fiance, because obviously she's, she's meant to be up in Scarborough. Mm. And then Hoffman says, "Well, I'll pretend to be the operator." And yeah, and and then that that moment as well is it's almost it's um I I I, I, I the word giddy comes to mind when I think of that mm. moment. Yeah, they have fun. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll pretend to be the operator, and, and you do the phone call. And they, they just have this like uh, almost childish little moment um, to to phone the fiance. Well, to, to, yeah, to, to keep to keep up the ruse. And I, and all and I was thinking, anticipating that you know Sellers is going to do a funny voice as the operator. Yes, yes. I think he's going to put on this really good. You know, one of his female voices, one of his sort of blousy mm. female voices. The one, the one time he's got the opportunity in this movie to do yeah. a voice that's not his own. But he doesn't. He just does it in his own voice with a with a hanky over the the, the, the mouthpiece, mm. which uh, then confuses me because the the fiance will will know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we have a bit of sort of development in the plot here because uh, Janet speaks to Tom's mother, and his mother tells him that Tom the next day is going up to Scarborough to see Janet. Mm. And obviously Janet panics and, mm. and, and blabs out that. Oh she, yeah. That, yeah. That, that granny, granny's all better. Yeah. And, I'll um, be back and, tomorrow. I'm back. Yeah. Phone, phone goes bang straight down. <laughs> yeah. And, and Hoffman is obviously devastated because she's oh, he's, only... yeah, he's, he's horrified. He's um again, uh, it's that image, it, the, the image of him on front of the life of death of Peter Sellers is that little moment. Yes, where... it is. Yeah. Yeah. He's only got four. He's only had four days with her, rather than the mm. agreed week, and and he he's he's sort of you can see him just the the the, the cogs in his head are turning, and he's he's, mm. he's trying to decide what what to do, and then you get the feeling he's decided he has to accelerate a plan because he mm. says he has to go out for about twenty minutes, and you think what's he going out for, and, and you you can you can imagine what it could be. Um, and like all things, it's it's the one moment in the film they're now separate. This yeah. entire film, they have been together. They've True. been in the same space. But this is the one moment he goes, I'm, I'm popping out. Yeah, yeah. And while he's out, Janet gets the key and opens that door. Mm. And it's this really messy bedroom. And there's gin bottles and a broken mirror, the dressing table. And there's these letters and they're from Barbara to mm. Benjamin Hoffman. Mm. Um, and there's some, there's like a publicity photo that of her, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's implied she's an actor. She's, a she's an, actor, an actress, actress yeah. of some, of some mm. description. Uh, but the letters are very nasty. They sort of say that she, mm. she'll be free from him as she's going to be famous and, and, and whatnot. Mm. And while Janet's reading these Hoffman returns and he looks thoroughly wretched. Hmm. And and he says that he says not tonight, Miss Smith, or something mm. like that. Yes, yeah, not tonight, Miss Smith. Uh, and and she gets up in the middle of the night and puts perfume on, and it's like she's decided to surrender herself to him. Well, I think yeah, she knows she knows it's the final. I think I think she's assuming that now it's the final night. Mm. He will do the deed, as it were. I mean, it's kind of his last opportunity to. Yeah. So she. She gets into bed, takes her clothes off, and then we see the, him waking up in the morning, seeing her, her naked back, and he's confused momentarily. Mm. And then I think he kind of maybe kisses her 
shoulder and then he gets up and she's <laughs> and she's furious yeah and she's she's, like, she's offended <laughs> yeah mm. she calls him a rotten hoaxer mm. <laughs> and that's when it all comes out he just he admits that he just wanted to look after he to he wanted to look after her, to baby her yeah. He says, he says, you could live like a little mouse in my pocket. I just wanted to woo you. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. And he's he's really on edge and she's furious. He, he manages to kind of placate him with breakfast in bed. And then he's walking, he's pacing around the kitchen waiting for something. Mm. And he's making, and he's trying to make himself look a bit sort of. You've got the, you've got the radio playing, um, playing as well. Oh it's yeah! The first time we've heard, the first time we've heard the radio playing in that's the true. flat the whole time. That's true. Yeah, but he's 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 undoing a couple of buttons of his pajama top and making himself look um, as if he's uh, you know he's been at it all night or something. And then mm. um, the doorbell rings. He's ex- he's expected this, and of course it's Tom, and and Tom at first thinks that he's at the wrong house, and then and oh then, yeah. oh 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 Mr. Hoffman oh oh sorry yeah. um um. Yeah. So what's happened? Hoffman's gone out the night before and sent a, t- a telegram to mm. Tom, and Hoffman implies, or doesn't imply, he straight up says, I think that, and very casually as well, like it's very much, uh, come on, come on in, have a cup of coffee. Uh, yes, she's here. She's in bed. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Tom confronts Janet. Mm. And, well, and we get we get to hear, we get to hear a few more. I get, we get to hear the uh, telegram, uh, which is uh, another another ditty from Hoffman. Um, uh, Once you had a pretty girl, you and her were to be wed. Now she's uh, in another man's bed. I forgot, I've got in the middle line there, but uh, I get, I get like another that. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a paraphrase of, <laughs> of, yeah, of yeah. that. But again, another 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 Hoffman zinger. Janet and I, well. We are very, very old friends. Oh, Mr. Tunitic, don't listen to him, please. I know you've been selling information to people who steal the firm's goods in transit. I know. Why did you tell him? I've already paid the deposit on our house. Why? But I didn't. Resign, disappear. Canada, Australia. South African police needs you. Disappear, Mitchell. Disappear. I might even pay your fare. No, no, you're not going to listen. You're not. Go on, please. Don't wait for me. Don't I can't go. Come on, please. No, please, Janet, let no, me no. stay here. Just wait for me, please. Janet. Well, wisher. You. Now you know he only cares about himself. It was a crime to start hanging with people like you in the world. Where are you going? Where do you think I'm going? To get on with my own life. He won't want you now. Why don't you shut up? And and Janet insists that she's leaving with Tom, and, and Hoffman begs her not to go. And she mm. she says you, she says you're mad and you're ugly. And yeah, who could who, who, who could love you? Yeah, yeah. And he's absolutely crushed. Mm. Well, he's he's stock still. He does he does not move. No. Um, he just just takes it. <laughs> no, and we see next scene. We see um, the fourth named person in the cast for the first time. Uh, Tom's overbearing mother. It's, which uh, which uh, Hoffman Hoffman refers to earlier on, doesn't he? Go like uh, when you're married to Tom's mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his mother's obviously his mother knows all about Tom's shenanigans, and and mm. and, and the the implication is that 
um, oh, it was going so well, she says at one point, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah. The, impl- <laughs> the implication is that if Tom's going to flee with Janet abroad, then the mother's going as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Janet says he should go to the police and, and own up and, you know, he might do a year and choky, but it would be worth yeah. it, you know, and she, and, you know, and she'll, she'll say that, you know, she was in on it as well. And, you know, so she's not going to get off scot-free, mm. but then his, his mother quite pointedly suggests that Janet go back to Hoffman and try and reason mm. with him. And Janet says, well, Tom, you know, would you like me to go back and talk to him again? And Tom's just, he doesn't, he's, he wants oh, whatever he's, it takes, whatever well, it takes. Well, he's quite, you, you, what's the line he says? He goes, uh, what does it matter? You've been with him all week. Uh, very, very sharply and very angrily. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not surprising. It is beyond of a man all week. <laughs> yeah 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 but he uh, seems more concerned about the old uh the old uh, being caught out on the cigarettes <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's she looks very hurt she leaves and then she's out on the street and she she decides upon a course of action and she mm. she she heads off and and invariably she turns up at Hoffman's again. We do. Well, we have a, we have a shot uh, of Hoffman uh, in between there, don't we? Where he's just sat. We do, yeah. In his flat, all alone. And apparently there's two versions of that scene. Uh, the scene that you see in the movie where it's just him sat. And there is also a version where he cries. Um, um, they filmed two versions. Right. Alvin Rakoff had said... Um, uh, okay, Peter, we're going to do this scene. And he, Peter was like, okay, yeah, but um, I, I want to cry. I want to cry in this scene. And Alvin Rakoff said to him, um, you know, it's better if it's that you, it's better for the, it's not very interesting for the audience for you to see you cry. It's better if the audience cry seeing you. So it's kind of like you want to cry, but you hold it back. Yeah. And apparently Salah said that's one of the best pieces of direction he'd ever, ever been given. But he did insist on doing a version where he cried. Yeah. Um, and then again, there's these old these old techniques of crying. You know, you can either again all tricks of the trade. You know, you can either pinch yourself or you can put a solution in your eyes that um, can induce tears. Uh, or you, could, or getting... you could get David Lodge to kick him in the nuts. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the, the, so you've got the drops, you've got the nip, you've got the David Lodge option. Yeah. Um, he he said no. To, he said no to all three, and said like, I, I'm just going to naturally, naturally cry. And uh, apparently, um, they started filming. And again, you've only got ten minutes of film in the can, and they start rolling, and you're getting towards the ten minutes, and there are no tears coming from sellers whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> to the point the cameraman's a bit like, oh, you know, God, should we, uh, should we, you know, is he, is he almost there? You know, again, Sellers, a, temper, a, a temperamental man. Um, again, I think a, a couple of the crew have kind of pointed out that um, he'd be one of those chaps that, um, oh, Peter, could you move forward for the lighting? And he'd say, no, no, I'm staying where I am. So you'd have to rejig the scene yes. just for where he was standing. Awkward bugger, yeah. Yeah, that extremely awkward bugger. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so they were getting to almost to the end of the can. And the tears did come, but apparently um, when they were adjusting the lights, the focuser had done it the wrong way. Instead of getting darker, he started going lighter. So right. as they're going in, he starts crying. He's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. 
So after they filmed it, they turns, he goes like, oh, mate, you, you've done it. You've done it the wrong way. We're meant to go darker, not lighter. I'm going to do it again. I'm not going to get him to do it again. So, <laughs> you can tell Peter Sellers. To, to, Sellers got his little ego moment, but that's not the, the version that we see in the film. Nah. <laughs> uh, I'd love, I'd love, I wish that had been a deleted scene on the, on the Blu-ray, but I presume, yeah. it's, uh, presume it's long gone. And yeah, so Janet turns up at his flat and yeah he's he's delighted to see, he's obviously feeling virtually suicidal slumped in the chair until yeah till she arrives she looks very hopeful and she looks him in the eyes and she says can i give up work and have piano lessons and etc cetera, etc cetera. and he says yes yeah. and she says can you kiss me now please and he he kind of v- visibly melts doesn't he and, mm. and then she says can i go to bed now because i'm tired Mm. And he says, Miss Smith, take a moment. What, Mr. Hoffman? Welcome home. Yours sincerely. If I'm wrong, it's nice pretending. It may soon be my next time. And that's the end of the film. That, that, that's, our, that's our happy ending. And again, that last image as well. She's just sat on the bed. Yeah. The door slowly closes. Yeah. And once again, to I think Roger Lewis highly implies, and then that's when he murders her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, all oh. right. Which I, which I don't think what happens, but... Um. <laughs> Roger Lewis compares him to some extent with, um, or the performance, with um, uh, Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's interesting you mentioned The Collector, because you know, The Collector, this film, and again, it's a bit like, you know, sort of, uh, again, the other extreme is Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. It's an, it's an unexpected ending in a way, mm. but I suppose it's the only ending if you think about it, that it could really have other than, mm. other than she goes off with Tom and marries him. Yeah. And, and Hoffman just gets drunk. And Well, and... again, in the play, um, he, um, again, I don't think this is in the TV play or the film, but in the play in Dublin, he uh, actually is just about to commit suicide before she comes back in. Right. Is it, is it sending the right message, Patrick? Do you think? <laughs> to, 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 to quote uh, Alvin Rakoff, it is, very politically incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a very, it's very much of its time. You know, it, it's a film that I would, I would not exactly recommend to people. I, I you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a minute missing masterpiece. It's not a date movie. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not a date movie. Yeah. It, it's not a missing masterpiece of, of that sort, but it's, it's, it's a very strange story told well. Yeah, and performed well, and um, yeah, I, 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 but again, you couldn't do it today. Um, I don't know, not unless you change the ending quite dramatically. Yeah, I think I think the ending it's it's a very a very dark film with a happy ending. Yeah, where the bad guy. Yeah, wins. in a sense, the bad guy wins. Yeah, <laughs> and again, again, you know, you we don't know, we don't learn really anything about Tom except that he smuggled a couple he's, he's been uh in, in part of um the cigarettes the cigarette heists yeah but even then he, he's just the he's the middleman he's just been passing information he hasn't um, been doing it himself 
but, but then he's got he's got this mo- this mother who has got far too much influence over him clearly. Mm. And, um, and again, it, it's a very typical sort of nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies sort of comedy film <laughs> mother. Really. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was expecting it to play, play by Irene Handel or Peggy Mount. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 but the fact that he was quite happy for her to go back to Hoffman mm. rather than say over my dead body. Mm. Will, but will, it, yeah, because again, I think the main focus comes about getting off the hook. Yeah, when she says that line, "Do you want me to go back to him?" Mm. You know, it's 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 a double meaning. You know, do, do as in, do you want me to go back to him? Talk about the cigarettes. She's saying, "Do you want me to go back to him?" As in, go back to that life that I've been yeah. doing for the last week. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting film. I would, I enjoyed it as much as you can enjoy a film where. Mm. You've got a terrible misogynist, yeah, um, dropping uh, witty epigrams Drop, all over the shop, his, dropping, dropping his uh, quotes of uh, quotes of wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> um, like you say, it's not a film you'd recommend. It's certainly not if if no. you, if you were if you were to uh, say to I don't know a group of school children, hey, would you like to watch a Peter Sellers film? I'd stick <laughs> I'd stick on I don't know Return of the Pink Panther. I wouldn't. Yeah, stick this I, was, I was about to say Return of the yeah. Return of the Pink Panther. Yeah. Again, I think it it I it's certainly a film for I'd say like sellers completists. Yeah. Um I think it, it's interesting in terms of his career, like where it was at that time. Um and again, it's it, it it falls into that category of Peter Sellers movies that as I said, the tagline, if you were again, if you wanted to just sell this movie now, it would kind of be the the film the star never wanted you to see. Right. Um the poster for this film it implies it implies that it's going to be a lot raunchier than it is uh you know the poster the main poster which is the one you kind of see being used in different territories is this image of sellers looking very forlorn and uh, the image of Sinead Cusack uh, push, pulling up her dress yeah um and again that's the image that it's kind of sold on and you kind of gave that as a poster you would think this was uh, you know and again you have peter sellers you've got Sinead cusack it is the 1970s you could be mistaken thinking this is a precursor to uh the confessions or the adventure movie well or it was just or yeah it was just one of those films from around this period that had gratuitous nudity in it like yeah exactly and even then just to sell it sell it in that way you you're you're um again as you said you've got peter sellers comic actor you think you're expecting a comedy it's not really a comedy again to sell it with that there may be some nudity there's no nudity no, that's right exactly you're going to be disappointed on it's, both. Not, it's not fair you can ask for a refund for false advertising yeah yeah <laughs> um and it would be a nice companion piece as i mentioned we've mentioned before um the collector by the, the mm. william wyler uh adaptation of john fowl's novel which is mm. terence stamp and samantha egger Yes, Samantha Edgar, yeah. yeah. And uh, Kenneth Moore, uh, the back the back of Kenneth Moore's head. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, he's that. originally cast as the boyfriend and all his scenes are, if, uh, anyway, see, again, he, all, his, all, his, all, his scenes, all his scenes are cut out except for one scene in the bar where you can see the back of Kenneth Moore's head. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's a, that's a, a great film as well. But again, mm. not a date film. Um, not a date film. <laughs> but, um, well, Patrick, listen, it's been really it's been a revelation speaking with you obviously you and i <laughs> have never met before this is the first time that mm. we have met but it's, it's been brilliant 
Well, thank you so much. Honestly, this has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, uh, thank you so much, great. Tyler. It's been great. Thanks again to Patrick. And thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another show. And until then, enjoy the weather. See you soon. Bye.